0: All right, everyone, we at Coindesk are really excited to launch the Consensus NFT pass called Microcosms. What is Microcosms? It is an NFT collection where we've combined an amazing artistic asset with a suite of additional rewards. Here's how it works. You go to Coindesk.com consensusnft Consensus NFT and collect a Microcosms NFT. If there are any left, that is, there are only 1,000 of them out there. What you get is an amazing one-of-a-kind generative art NFT by the artist Fahad Karim. By holding it, you also get a Consensus Pro-Tier ticket airdrop to you for the next three years. And then this is where it gets fun. In addition to the passes and the art asset, each year for the next three years, we release a set of rewards that are specific to getting the most out of Consensus. This year, some of the rewards include a booth on the show floor, a $19,000 value, by the way, a speaking slot at the conference, priceless. Meetings with key VCs, a ledger stacks device, VIP upgrades. There's so much more. We have 350 additional rewards in total. Those are yours to use, gift, or maybe sell to someone else who might get more use out of that specific reward. Check it all out at slash consensus NFT. Welcome to Gen C. Gen C is Generation Crypto. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how Web2 and Web3 brands are building for these audiences. I'm Sam Ewan from Coindesk, and our co-host is Avery Akineni from Vayner3. Mm. Avery, so amazing to see you this morning. You are in a beautiful location, it looks like. Where are you right now?
2: I am actually in Costa Rica for my husband's birthday, but had to make it on to Gen Z, best part of the week. Always love seeing you, Sam. And I'm really fired up about our guests for today.
0: I'm glad you have your priorities straight. Gen Z first, husband second. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a really interesting week. Avery, I want to get your take on the biggest news I've seen all week is the fact that MetaMask just announced that they're working on integration with Unity. So for anyone who doesn't know, there are two main gaming engines that power almost all of the gaming world. Unreal is one of them. Unity is the second one. It's predicted there'll be $300 billion in the gaming ecosystem coming soon. And there's also, I think, two or two and a half billion people in the world that have interacted with the Unity system. Unity can build everything from, you know, games you play on your phone to console games and sort of first-person shooters, all of that. So the fact that MetaMask is creating an integration, to me, says this is like a game changer. It unlocks the opportunity for assets in wallet, whether those are skins, objects, or the idea that game assets or even sort of game subscription could happen in wallet, to me, is really interesting. So I'm sure you guys have been tracking the gaming industry, especially around Web3, and I just wanted to know if you had any reactions to the fact of what MetaMask is building, and is it as big an opportunity as I think it is?
2: I think one of the killer use cases for Web3 potentially is absolutely gaming. I think it makes so much sense. Like, you know, we've talked about this before, but consumers are living in this digital first reality. And you know, gamers are probably the best embodiment of this. And this is a huge audience. When you look at just the number of people engaged in gaming ecosystems, it is massive and it is everywhere. It's in the United States, but it's also very global. So I think it makes a lot of sense for MetaMask to be building in this direction. One of the interesting friction points is gamers actually hate NFTs. And anytime they, you know, sort of pitch this, there's a million and one cases of it being sort of a negative reaction. They love the idea of owning things digitally. And I think from many gamers' current perception, they do because they paid for it with their money. So it feels very real. Like when you do consumer research into this, they do feel like they own these items. Web3 is, of course, introducing this new transparent level of ownership that has the potential for interoperability. What I think will be needed to actually make this go from a potentially interesting integration to a killer app is someone who does it really right and gets their community of millions of gamers to really care about this and want to participate which could be a watershed moment. You know, we've done a bunch of stuff with Immutable X and they've been very focused on the Web3 gaming use case. So I think there will be some nice, friendly competition, things heating up as these integrations start to make some of this possible that has only been sort of theoretical up until this point.
0: Thank you for mentioning Immutable X because the SDK that they're building actually allows for a lot of cross-chain integration. So Immutable X is one of them, Solana, Algorand, Tezos, Aptos, all of these different chains who I think are a little bit more focused on what you're talking about, which is what's my $10 item, but maybe that $10 item then can be utilized in multiple games, right? And I think that's the future we kind of have envisioned and I guess is the first step towards that.
2: It's the first step. And I think it unlocks a much broader potential audience. I think what we've seen brands sort of embrace in the Web3 space to date has been the sort of early pioneers in this space. And oftentimes these are, you know, very expensive communities, you know, very high price assets that the average person like just simply can't afford or interact with outside of sort of fandom and looking into something that, is a lower price point that actually has real utility. You know, we talk a lot about utility, but for gamers being able to use this skin or item across multiple games, like that is a real utility that I think people see a very clear value directly into. And of course, there's a precedent for how to price those types of things from what exists in these other games. What I'm curious about is if these gaming companies embrace or sort of push back on it. I think what we've heard from a couple of them is blockchain is interesting, but their audience isn't keen on NFTs yet. What will be sort of to come is if their audiences start embracing this, then I think the companies will lean into it way more quickly.
0: I keep wondering if that narrative around our audiences aren't keen on NFTs is partly driven by the companies themselves who are worried about their profits, right? You know, last year when we had a ton of attention around Axie Infinity, one of the things that was really interesting about that Web3 game was the idea that 90% of the profits were actually going back to the community and the company still made like 70 million dollars a month just on their 10%. So it was, you know, a pretty lucrative business for them, but when you compare that to Fortnite, which was making 5 billion a year and not giving very much back, you know, I wonder just how much it is. And like let's be real, it takes a lot of money and a lot of time to build a compelling game. <laughs> you know, so I think we have to recognize that, but I keep wondering how much kind of backlash is actually driven by the game studios being scared and getting their audiences scared of the threat of oh, that skin that you want is now $500 because someone has it as an NFT.
2: Oh, I think you're absolutely right. It's like not really in their economic incentive to sort of share profits in this way. It'll have to be something that sort of comes from a user demand, which currently is a very small audience. It's funny because I was just chatting with a friend who works at, I think, the biggest gaming company. And he was telling you about game that over the weekend made $85 million just on the launch weekend. So these are super profitable companies. It does take a ton of work. And there's a ton of strategy of game theory of, you know, player engagement that goes into these things. They kill off so many of the games before they ever see the light of day. It's not a cheap endeavor to build these types of companies. It's expensive and it takes time. But I think, you know, Web3 gaming could be a killer use case that really hits scale if the right combination of factors come together.
0: It's one to watch. And I think one we should keep tracking over time because gaming is such a big business. It's really bigger than any other segment of the entertainment industry. And people kind of sleep on it because I think people sort of assume that people grow out of games, wherein the fact is that the gamer is getting older and older because it becomes a replacement for just watching Netflix instead of, you know, something you grow out of.
2: It's actually perfect timing. I think the Game Developers Conference is actually next week. So it's an interesting time. And maybe in our next show, we should discuss how much Web3 comes up at GDC.
0: That's a great idea. All right. Story number two to focus on today is Blue Sky. So Blue Sky was originally a decentralized social media network that was incubated by Jack Dorsey and the Twitter team back in 2019. And I think the idea was, as Jack is such a Bitcoin maxi, I think he was kind of thinking about what would a social network look like if it was on a decentralized system. And that sort of didn't go very far, it sounds like, and they'd spun out Blue Sky into its own company before Elon purchased it. We are starting to see whether it's Blue Sky, whether it's Damus, whether it's Farcaster. FWB has their own social network app that just came out. What's your take on any of these social media sort of decentralized applications? And do you think that there will at some point be one that starts to really break out?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have Farcaster. I play around with it. And there's clearly a demand from Web3 natives to have a decentralized social network. This is something that people who believe in Web3 and believe in decentralization are clamoring for. The reality is none of these have hit scale yet. And I think that's challenging. Just like it's very hard to build a game and it costs a lot of time and money and a little bit of luck. I think the same is true for building a social network. You know, not so long ago, Be Real was everywhere and everybody was talking about it. Now, just a couple of months later, that's cooled off. Like these things are heavily sort of like trend-based and also heavily network-based. So I believe there's a potential for one of these decentralized social apps to really take off. But in order for that to happen, there needs to be the sort of network effect, which comes from creators who's on the platform, who's embracing it. Are they getting their communities? And then is this providing like a really differentiated service to what you can get across TikTok, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Farcaster, BeReal, everything else that exists today?
0: The thing that's always been exciting to me about what Web three social networking can be is not actually whether one of these apps becomes the thing it's whether or not our private key allows us to bring our communities to any of them right that once we've built up this audience you know you have a couple followers on twitter i've noticed you know what would happen if you could plug that same follower group into blue sky or into fwb and suddenly you can be kind of whoever you want to be on any network and your audience will come with you it's a promise that people have talked about we haven't seen any application of it and of course is a big challenge to the TikTok and Instagram business models. And I'm also a little wary, you know, and I think you actually said it correctly, the Web3 audience is really looking at this. But we saw what happened when, you know, the right-wing audience really wanted their own social network because they felt like they were being shadow banned by Twitter. And if you go on True Social, it's just not compelling because you don't have enough diversion of thought. So, you know, I'm a little wary of this, like, the Web3 audience, are we just going to sit there and, you know, talk about JPEGs all day? And is that going to be interesting enough to enough people? compared to, you know, who's going to build the social network where you don't even know that it's running decentralized? And is that actually the more interesting opportunity, you know, when that kind of language goes away?
2: Yeah, Sam, I think that's so right. You need content creators, you need audiences to participate, you need communities to be built, you need new features, but you also just need like stuff that people actually care about, that a lot of people actually care about, whether that's cooking or golf or Costa Rica or JPEGs, like it has to have a diversity of programming that's actually interesting to a broader audience and that unlocks like a fundamentally better experience than what they're getting. I think we're also living in this era of like copycatville, right? Like where everything just gets copied. You take something like stories, which originally came from Snap and now they're everywhere, right? Our friends at Meta have done this many times over with many different features reels now, right? Like it's just like TikTok, but now it's across every platform. It's YouTube Shorts, it's Instagram reels, you know, all sort of starting from that core format. So I think that these companies are also very good at picking up a trend and putting it into their existing ecosystem really fast. So it's harder and harder for like a totally net new incumbent to break out and maintain that because it just becomes like a feature, not a company. I think almost like Clubhouse is a good example of this, right? Like they created a differentiated product. It worked until Twitter just did the same thing. And then you were on Twitter where you had more people. So something else to sort of keep an eye on.
0: Yeah. I also think when you think of any breakout social network, it's also creating a new paradigm of how to sort of interact with other people. Whereas, again, I sort of really like what Farcaster is doing and what FWB is doing, but it doesn't feel like they're inventing new. It feels like they're just saying same, but Web3. And maybe that's part of the big challenge. All right. Final thing I want to ask you about is something very near and dear to my heart because it has my name in it, Sam's Club. So, you know, we often track what's happening in trademark and like the folks that are kind of doing their land grab to protect their brands. Sam's Club in February did a kind of big swath of protection for the metaverse, where they protected their trademark in a variety of industries. The things that I thought were really interesting, just reading from Mike Condutis' tweet, is that they claim plans for... Blockchain software NFTs make sense, but then virtual reality healthcare and cryptocurrency trading. And so I currently don't go to Sam's Club for my healthcare options, nor do I go for trading currencies. You know, is this the idea that, you know, the super app comes to the store and because it's in the metaverse, you can really create a destination that can do anything? And is that again what consumers are going to want in the metaverse?
2: Yeah. So love Sam's Club. I've uh, done a little bit of stuff with them before. I think that Sam's Club is a massive business and healthcare is a part of their business as well. For anyone who might not be familiar, they're part of Walmart and, you know, their average user today is not thinking about cryptocurrency trading. They're thinking about like how to buy like 400 rolls of toilet paper at once and get a discount on them. And they have this membership model, which is really interesting. And I think in the future could be really well suited to like a web three sort of loyalty program. My take right now, without any insider information whatsoever, is that this is a sort of trademark protection type of thing. I think what we hear from a lot of brands is they are looking to protect right now as they learn, as they understand, as they wrap their head around what's happening. Better sort of safe than sorry. I think from a legal standpoint, everybody wants to cover their bases of not just where they are today, but where they theoretically might be in the future and make sure we don't have some of the copyright challenges that you know you and I have talked about in other cases, like the recent Birkin case.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on. These are protectionist versus opportunistic.
2: Yeah, I think people read a lot into that often. They're like, oh, they're launching a metaverse. And you're like, well, maybe, I mean, potentially there's a lot of things that could happen, but I think it's protectionist for now would be my guess. But, you know, one thing that just came out, I think it was this week that I thought was really interesting in this copyright space is the U.S. Copyright Office has ruled that AI generated art cannot be copyright protected because it was not created by human. So, you know, at Vayner, we're just like sort of diving right in, continuing to play around with all this AI stuff and a lot of the same legal considerations and concerns and conversations that we've been having in the sort of more NFT, crypto, direct Web3 space are bleeding into a lot of these AI conversations, which, you know, to me just shows us all this stuff is coming together at such a like rapid rate. It's more similar than it is different.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so funny you said that because the conversation I had over the weekend about AI was the fact that one, I believe AI is going to need a sort of royalty rights advocacy group in the same way that the music industry has with ASCAP and BMI that sort of looks around and protects artists from having their songs used, you know, and not getting paid. And that could be on radio, that could be at events, whatever it may be. People pay licenses in order to compensate those artists for it. AI, it feels like. And I think this is actually such a perfect use of the blockchain, but the idea that if every artist, for example, or every writer or every journalist had, in essence, a seed that was tokenized so that when you go on at Vayner3 and you're saying, hey, you know, create an image of seven giraffes in the style of David Hockney, that we can track that and that that usage actually could be one where the rights themselves and the sort of tracking and payouts could be attributable and validated on the blockchain. And that's a way that artists, I think, in the future could be compensated for how AI might be inspired by. Because there's no doubt that whether it's ChatGPT or it's MidJourney, both of them are sucking up tons of information from creators who have built a craft. And I do think that there is something that feels a little off-putting in the idea that I can say in the style of, and that style of could be a writer, a musician, a video game designer, any of that stuff an architect, but that they, in the end, can inspire an AI's output, but don't get any compensation for it. And maybe not today when a lot of the stuff is relatively free, but you know, as we know, almost all of these systems are moving to subscription models. There should be a percentage of that, which feels like it should go back to the folks that their work is being ingested
2: absolutely i couldn't agree more I think it's frankly a little bit of murky waters on this stuff right now where you know some of it's very obvious it's like you typed in like norman Rockwell inspired and then obviously you know whose artistic style came in there i think there are cases when people genuinely are not intending to do this it's one of the reasons that at least on the vayner side like we use this for internal use only mock-up storyboards inspiration sort of things like that not any sort of final product assets but I think this is going to be like a massively hot debate over the next like you know six to twenty four months as major institutions are grappling with like how to build brand in the era of AI and in the era of anyone being able to be a content creator at a really high level if they train themselves on how to effectively leverage tools like Midjourney or Dolly Two or you know Flare AI should I have Mickey on here or you know Chat GPT or Jasper. There's so many of these tools, and I think there will also be. A lot of work that goes into developing custom models for the sort of Fortune 500 set, they can't just pull from everything. It has to pull from an approved sort of data set in order to be custom. And I think that'll be another like really fun thing for us to explore as part of this, you know, Gen C discussion.
0: Yeah. And like there's big money on both sides. You know, Getty is a very successful company owned by Bill Gates. You know, he's not going to go quietly as his revenue stream starts to get taken away.
2: Of course. And I think this is like Microsoft's moment too. like they're really set up for this. I think Google is, you know, under siege in a way that they've never been before with a couple of different things coming to a head. And Microsoft being really well set up to potentially navigate this space due to their enterprise relationships and due to this investment in ChatGPT.
0: Absolutely. All right, Avery, we have an incredible guest today. Ty Haney, who is sort of an entrepreneur phenom at 23, started Outdoor Voices, a brand that if you've been on any college campus over the last decade, you will have seen someone wearing or working out in an Outdoor Voices outfit. And she, post-OV, is really focused on enabling loyalty with the Web3 space. So really excited to talk to Ty right after the break. Calling all
2: early-stage crypto, blockchain, and Web3 startups, teams, and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest.
0: All right, everyone, welcome back. We are here with Ty Haney of TYB, who has an amazing career that we're going to get into and also has really been innovating in the loyalty and reward space around Web3. So really excited to talk to Ty. Welcome. Thank you. Ty, I think first it would be great to just understand your journey as a successful entrepreneur. You've built many businesses. You are currently involved with a bunch. And it'd be great to just understand what got you to here. And then also just to understand what your interest in Web3, how that began and what that looked like.
1: Yeah, of course. So I started a company called Outdoor Voices out of school at 23 years old. And the background quickly there was I'd grown up in Boulder, Colorado, super active, hiked every day, biked every day. That was just the way of life in Boulder. Then quickly found myself in New York City not being active. And from a mental and physical standpoint was like, hell, this is not the same tie, you know, that I'm used to every day. And realized that there was an opportunity kind of in this activewear space to really flip this kind of traditional positioning of performance on its head and build a brand all around this mission of doing things is what we called it. So this inclusive, accessible, essentially inspiration to be active on a daily basis that culminated into this brand and product and ultimately super powerful, engaged community that essentially was having fun being active with their friends on a daily basis. And so... Spent eight years building Outdoor Voices and then really got interested in this Web3 space because of the idea of ownership, this idea of community ownership. And ultimately started playing around, I think it was with CryptoPunks, with our head of finance at Outdoor Voices and connected the dots and said, how cool would it be to bring kind of this idea of community ownership to the direct-to-consumer or brand building space? So can go more into that, but that was the simple bridge. Amazing.
2: And Ty, I was absolutely... I still am an absolute Outdoor Voices stand, The exercise dress, the color block leggings, such a fan favorite. And that we got connected sort of through this Web3 space. And one of the things I think is really interesting about your journey is you've built this brand. So you really understand the pain points that marketers are going through You know today, what they're going through tomorrow, how hard it is to build a community. And Outdoor Voices had done a lot of really successful social media marketing Was that part of your sort of impetus to start something like TYB? And please do tell us, what does TYB stand for?
1: Yeah, TYB stands for try your best. And it's something my mom would say to me when I was little, whether I was going to soccer practice or school or slumber party, but it's really this mindset to try your best every day. And it's a really kind of cool and nice rallying call as we think about brands and their fans to work together, build together, and then have something to show for it at the end of the day. And really kind of the most important piece to me here as we think about Web3 meets or crypto meets brands is the ability to unlock a better business model for brands that are today structurally reliant on ad platforms. And so in my Outdoor Voices experience, we had this really successful growth channel. It was our community and it all happened offline. And so our kind of strongest playbook was to, in different markets, get large groups of people together to be active. So yoga, dog walks, hikers club, you name it. And then that essentially activity or energy engagement would be amplified through social. And that became our number one way to introduce new people to the brand. Anyone who came through kind of this higher touch offline community channel was four times more valuable than anyone coming through kind of the traditional paid social channels. And so we ended up spending, like many other brands, way too much money. I think it was 30 to 40% of the dollars that we had raised, essentially trying to acquire customers through Instagram and Facebook, which were not sticky customers. And so as we zoomed out, I've realized that this community channel had the potential to really become a true growth channel and more healthy, profitable way to grow for brands. But there was no kind of infrastructure around that.
2: Amazing. And that's exactly what TYB is doing, right? Like you all are helping provide this infrastructure that brands can directly tap into to sort of build that community channel. And you also have your own sort of incubated brand, which I think is really smart because, you know, I talk to a lot of these partners who are building these stacks and they're always having to sort of like look to get customers. You actually have a customer who can be your proof point, which is, your sort of incubated company. I think it's called Joggy. Could you share a little bit about sort of your strategy there of launching these two things in parallel and how Joggy sort of feeds into the go-to-market for TYB as sort of an initial pilot use case?
1: Yes, of course. So Joggy Energy is a brand we incubated internally. And one thing just on kind of the direct-to-consumer space is direct-to-consumer is not direct. And so it's really cool now. TYB allows brands to directly connect via the blockchain with their fans. It's an all-in-one toolkit where they can coordinate and reward valuable action, automate and scale rewards, and then make community measurable at the end of the day. And so funny enough, Coming off my OV experience, Joggy was what I went to build first with the team. And really the vision there was to replace Red Bull with a clean, plant-based, good-for-you energy product. I had been drinking Red Bull way too often. And while I loved it and think they're killer marketers, realized that at the end of the day, I might be taking years or maybe more so hours off my life. And so Joggy was developed based on that vision and mission. And when I went to think about how we launched this, I realized from a go-to-market perspective, it'd be very, very cool to bring the community into it out of the gates and give them something to show for it. And so Joggy was how TYB, the platform, got started. And early on, before we sold any product, we sold 500 Joggy Doggy collectibles, these very cute kind of animated brown Joggy Doggies that catch a green Joggy Frisbee. I think it was last April, we sold 500 Joggy Doggy collectibles to be founding members of this community. And it came with a suite of perks, access to the community, you can co-create the energy drink with us, etc. And so we sold out of the Joggy Doggies in 40 hours, they were $250 each, and that was really the kickoff of this toolkit. And really what the toolkit offers is this new model, community integrated commerce bring your community in, directly engage with them, give them something to do, whether it be sharing to social, co-creating an energy drink or picking from a line sheet uh, different colors and essentially bringing insights up front, bring them in and make them an extension of your team. And so Joggy's been incredible in that we're eight or nine months in with it. We have this 1600 person, super engaged founding community that essentially takes action wherever we need it to help grow the brand. And they have this collectible, essentially, that over time could be something that they sell. So really, that's where this idea that community ownership, starting with a collectible and over time kind of further incentives, you know, is the right kind of way of aligning incentives between fans and founders that the direct-to-consumer model and the venture-backed direct-to-consumer model doesn't support today.
0: I'm really curious because I think Outdoor Voices was really built on social action within your community and really leveraging the platforms that at the time were so popular within this audience. I don't feel like we've seen, other than Twitter, a sort of tremendous usage of visual social media, TikTok, Instagram, for Web3 brands to sort of leverage community and get that kind of communal funnel going that I think really draws and brings in so many folks. When I was doing more research on TYB and Joggy, it seems like you guys really are leveraging what the potential power of social is. And I'm just wondering what your advice is to Web3 founders, but also Web2 brands that maybe are failing to utilize social for the audience. And then second part of that question is, does the Web3 audience, are they suspect of social and therefore other than a crypto Twitter or Discord or things like that, that feel a little bit more insider for them? Do they want their brands to be on TikTok?
1: That's a great question. We've really built this first version of the tool around this concept of automated community social proof. And so what TYB allows brands to do is say, hey, collectible holder of the Topicals beauty community. Every time you post to TikTok and tag Topicals, you automatically get brand coins to your wallet that then can be used for essentially discounts or access to exclusive experiences. So we've made it very easy for that amplification to happen across channels where audiences already exist. And so I think there's no reason not to reward for that type of amplification. And particularly where we're focused with brands, that's a crucial part of where discovery happens. And so we've made it very lightweight to now incentivize for that post versus, you know, just hoping that people... Are posting on their own. In the Web3 space, I'm actually curious, given you guys are more kind of in that world, what is the aversion to the kind of like traditional social media? Obviously, it's a centralized space where you don't have access. From my perspective, really, like when people think they're building community on Instagram, I ask them, like, do you actually own or have access to those relationships? And so like, that's the critical part here. And the critical unlock is actually having, you know, access to those ownerships or that relationship with your community wow, there's so much there. So I'm going to sort of
2: break like piece by piece. For one, Ty, how does it actually like work to incentivize your community to do things like post on TikTok? One thing I talk to our partners all the time about, and, you know, Gary has been such a big believer in TikTok for a long time that we've been talking you know, about this for what seems like ages. And I think brands are really starting to catch on that TikTok is, I mean, that's a place where 40% of Gen Z are using as their primary search engine. And whether or not brands are there, their consumers are, and their consumers are posting about them, whether they like it or not. So it's a very salient point. How do you actually track that and reward that behavior within the TYB platform?
1: Yeah, of course. So what our tech does is through a TikTok API verifies that this user, TYBID, so collectible holder within kind of our world, has posted. And so we're scanning every two to three minutes through TikTok and by brand. So the brand has to go essentially create an API and then our tech scans for that action to happen. And I mean, it sounds simple, but... Like we've introduced it with two brands now and it really creates this flywheel effect. And, you know, on the user side, you're like, oh, I'm actually earning something for this. Obviously, like in the creator world, like, you know, people are being paid. But really what's cool here is this broader, kind of more democratized view on community can start to happen where anyone with a phone can join the community and start to get rewarded for that promotion. And we're really seeing kind of the lightweight nature of that start to take off.
2: Yeah. And I love sort of fusing what's happening in the world of Web3 and being able to verify that ownership with platforms that actually have scale, like a TikTok. So you can sort of marry those two things together, which is obviously critical. You know, your model, I think it's all about like the 1000 true fans model starting there and continuing to grow that. On the you know sort of audience component, currently the sort of Gen or crypto native audience still feels primarily male when you look at all the research that's out there. You know, for any folks who watched the recent DGod's NFT Paris video with the shoe, we know that there are women in this space and there are female founders like yourself. But I'd love to hear more about Gen Z, which seems to be one of the core audiences that's interesting to you and interesting to Joggy. What do you think are the alignments with that audience? And then what do you think are the challenges? Because many of them may not be the sort of core crypto native folks who are populating other NFT communities.
1: Yeah, I mean... What I get excited about is the idea that TYB can really be this pioneer, you know, from a value creation standpoint for Gen Z by bringing brands that they love, beauty brands, activewear brands, etc. into the space without it feeling like the, you know, crypto world that we know today, because there's certainly a version there. And so You'll see as you start to play with the different brands that are on TYB, we've very much obfuscated any of the complexity or even terminology away from the platform and the use case and very much focused on collectible, why you want it and what it unlocks for you. And so just tied back to Outdoor Voices, we had this blue doing things hat. And, you know, you could only get it in the early innings of the brand by showing up to an event, participating in the mission, and then you earned your blue doing things hat. This became a symbol of your belonging to this community and a souvenir essentially for your participation. And so very obviously to me and to us, this collectible of a brand does just that. But now it's digital, lives in wallet, and then elegantly unlocks per And so just being very much a brand person, I and we have definitely not made kind of our experience look and feel like the crypto world today. And I think that's important as we start to or have the intent to onboard the 99 percent of people who don't have a MetaMask rainbow wallet or any experience in crypto, though, have the potential to really over time, you know, recognize value for this new way of participating with brands that they love.
0: Ty, I would love to get a little bit deeper into actually what you're building. Because, you know, I I think when I was talking to Bianca, your partner, we sort of talked a lot about white label solutions and how brands don't necessarily want to build all of this stuff themselves. And you seem to have a portal, which is one, a tool set for brands and also two, a tool set for fans. So can you like just tell us a little bit more about what you're actually building on the back end, how brands can participate in the system? Like, what does that onboarding look like?
1: Yeah, of course. It's quite simple. And the Nike, Dot Swoosh, and Odyssey Starbucks programs have been really significant tailwinds for us, essentially, you know, in creating the demand and helping brands recognize that this is the future. And so there's really three kind of simple stages. There's onboarding, and so every brand gets a brand page or community kind of front door. It's brand.tyb.xyz. And so, like a link tree, you can simply send that. a targeted audience or put it in social depending on what group you want here and you're bringing people into this page where they essentially earn unlock or purchase a collectible this collectible Again, the blue doing things hat or the Joggy Doggy collectible acts as the universal key into the community channel. So you have to get this key and now you're in the community channel in the second essentially phase where you're engaging and getting rewarded for this engagement. And again, at this stage, it's all things that people kind of are familiar with doing with brands that they love today. So sharing to social, submitting reviews, hosting events, attending events. All of this is part of this, you know, seven button list of the actions that a brand can prompt from their community that ultimately provide value and then on the community side you're getting coins, brand coins for this participation. And then the third piece is redemption. And so as I earn all of these coins, what am I going to go do with it? And we have an integration with Shopify that essentially allows 721s and ERC 20s to be redeemed for discounts to product or token gating. And so Those are the three steps, onboarding, engagement, and redemption at this stage. Over time, what we get excited about is the idea to introduce smart contracts that more kind of meaningfully incentivize the community from revenue-based rewards or ownership of a style that has been co-created, for instance. And then the third step is really true community ownership. And as we have more of an ecosystem built here, the future that I get excited about is that the next Nike will be truly community-founded, community-led, and community-owned using the TYB toolkit. And that is where we have this network, this ecosystem, these brand builders, these kind of active participants. We can introduce a TYB token and tokenize essentially the community. And that is this exciting step where ultimately the users of this network and of this toolkit are also owners in the full thing. And it's a bit reverse, you know, to a lot of the projects we're seeing today, or at least that started a year and a half ago where they're introducing a token out of the gates. We're really focused on how do we build the value first and then tokenize it. Awesome.
2: So you just mentioned 721s and I know you all have some 1155 business, I believe TYB first started on Avalanche, if I'm not wrong. Are you still running on Avalanche? Can you talk a little bit about that decision and explain to our listeners what the benefit of running sort of on an alternative chain is, or if you've made the decision to sort of focus in on the Ethereum ecosystem?
1: Yeah, Avalanche has been awesome. And we're close partners with them continuing to lean in more so. And I think ultimately, like there are going to be rollups, and we're going to be chain agnostic. So There were a few reasons we picked Avalanche. One, the speed, two, the cost, and then three, the environmental considerations, which is obviously top of mind for this kind of Gen Z brand loving consumer. And so we are great partners with them and they are very closely kind of connected to our roadmap and the same. And so those were the three considerations and have really, really been impressed with their tech. I think one thing that's really important about what they allow from an infrastructure standpoint is brands can create subnets and kind of run their own staking. And that's, you know, we're early innings to that. Like that's not being requested by brands today. But I think as we think about the future, that becomes a significant kind of like tech opportunity.
0: I think you have said often, you know, brands and fans build together. You know, you mentioned things like brand staking. So there's something that I think is really interesting in the Web3 and NFT world there still is so much of this sort of flip mentality, get in, get out, maybe make some profit. Whereas I think when you look at, you know, Nike and Jordan fans, they've been in for the long haul. They've committed for, you know, decades now into their collections and to helping to build that brand. So are you saying, you know, kind of the more you can tokenize commitment, the more you can then reward loyalty?
1: A hundred percent build authentic relationships that last and really reward those one that were early and two that stick with you and continue to contribute and engage kind of over the long term. And one thing you guys will see just with the TWAB toolkit is there's a lot of gamification to this. So there's a leaderboard, you can see kind of where you stack up and, you know, brands can start to airdrop the top 100 engagers. So yes, this is all about building long term relationships that last and increasing the incentive for those that were there early and continue to contribute.
2: Yeah. And Ty, you mentioned that some of the things that your toolkit is capable of or will be capable of, they're not yet things that brands are thinking about or asking for. What do you hear from brands, particularly those the sort of like D to C cohort that you helped lead with OV? pain points, needs and also what like how they're thinking about the Web3 space, you know, I can say from more like Fortune 500 land, there's a lot of interest but there's also a lot of anxiety because there's so many polarizing headlines particularly about crypto but i think nft's and broadly web3 can get looped into this a little bit because as you mentioned it is really early but my you know suspicion would be that companies that were very early to capitalizing on web2 and understand the power of that d2c model might be more leaned into doing something like this because it's a little bit more in their dna but i'd love to hear your perspective
1: yeah what we hear every day is that cac is no longer the focus and it's really gotten way too expensive with these traditional channels. So everyone's focused on loyalty, retention, and how do I keep my existing customer base with me and that value growing. And so that's really where this first version of the toolkit has focused. And Avery, one thing I remember from one of our chats, I think the Legends chats, you saying was like, a lot of these enterprise, you know, size the prize from an NFT perspective and like, you just can't make enough money to make it like, you know, a priority piece of the roadmap. I'm curious to like get your hot take there if that's still consistent with what you're hearing today. But with the brands that we're focused on, so the D to C brands, let's say between 10 and 100 million, like it's more about that relationship building and figuring out that loyalty retention piece to unlock value than kind of what I heard from you. So I think it's a slightly different consideration.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, not so much revenue. I think that just the days of like 2021 are just behind us in that aspect none of the programs that like we've launched in the last year have really been like revenue oriented. It's all about sort of consumer engagement oriented. I think one of the interesting points of where we are now is the audience size, is you have to be able to successfully bring people in, in order to make this program. Because at the end of the day, like it's all has to be ROI positive. This all has to be ultimately driving share or driving sales or, you know, contributing to that at least sort of directionally. So... I think the audience right now is small and it's a bet that this will grow and that by leaning in early, you're able to capitalize on these opportunities, learn the tech. And if you do it right, like really engage and create a community of evangelists who want to help you grow your brand in this next era of the Internet.
1: Totally. And so one of the main kind of selling points right now and the visibility we're starting to be able to provide is really this idea of making your community measurable. And in the past, this was something that was impossible because we kind of organized action from the community across several channels, Slack, SurveyMonkey, Google Docs, etc And so like you directionally know that this was working, but it was really hard to understand kind of the true ROI of community. So what the essentially integration with Shopify unlocks for us is the ability now to be able to connect purchase data to engagement. And so a brand can look kind of on the TYB brand admin tool and say, this is the incremental value driven by collectible holders versus non-collectible holders. So, you know, a collectible holder, a joggy-doggy holder repeats two times more than one that doesn't have a collectible. And so we're really starting to be able to put kind of with precision and kind of measurability to this community action. And then the second thing we're seeing or kind of hearing interest around is this idea of interoperability. And so the intent or kind of openness to start to collaborate with synergistic brands, you know, from a cross-pollination and audience share perspective. And again, that's what we get excited about is this being kind of a tech that elegantly kind of enables that. And from a go to market perspective, the way that we're kind of manually supporting that is by launching synergistic bouquets of brands. So around parent brands and beauty brands and activewear brands where they're not competitive, but they could really benefit from kind of that cross pollination.
0: And that tie is something that I think Avery and I talk a lot about on here, but I like the way that you put it, that the idea of interoperability, which I think we in Web3 get too focused on interoperability sort of between chains or between projects, whereas I think that the idea of interoperability of plugging in like-minded individuals to brand X that also can benefit brand Y, and that you guys, you know, through your dashboard, through your sort of curation, if you will, of brands on the platform, start to have a larger group that wants to interplay with each other, that feels like a big unlock in Web3. 100%.
1: And that just ties back to the CAC problem, right? So like, how do we lower the cost to get new eyeballs and new customers? And so that's a pretty beautiful future as we start to think about brands working together more so.
0: What happens when, you know, you have Joggy Doggy in the portfolio and then energy drink number two comes to TYB and says, we want to, you know, hire you guys to be our white label solution. Is it about sort of rising tides bring all ships up? Or is it that you want to curate the best for your audience first? Like, I guess, what is it, you know, is it bottom line or is it audience as the focus?
1: That's a good question. We have competitive brands and just by nature of a, you know, an alcohol brand launching, we then get a lot of inbound. So we're still in the early innings, but as of right now, but the real focus is on like getting more from your existing base. So I don't know. I'm going to have to report back in terms of what that looks like. But right.
0: episode number two, we'll focus on that. <laughs> episode
1: <Yeah>. number two. <laughs> it is interesting, though, as we think about, let's say, like in the TYB wallet, someone owning a, one of the Nike Swash collectibles and then Adidas, or Adidas saying, hey, I want to airdrop them, you know, 200 bucks. Like that's going to become quite interesting. So the dueling that's going to happen, you know, with the interoperability is going to be quite interesting. Well, let's do an episode two. I love it. And
2: hopefully this all benefits the consumer. I think interoperable loyalty is something that's like so massively evident to anybody who is like really in this space. And it'll take a while for it to play out, but I think it's a massive opportunity.
1: Just on the loyalty piece, like what becomes so cool is I think it's something like 85% of loyalty points aren't used or even more than that. And these disparate little loyalty programs, you know, becoming more effective when they all can emerge together is kind of the future that excites us both from a brand and kind of user perspective. And outside
2: of work, Web3 seems to be this like always-on ecosystem. And I know you are a mom, you have multiple companies, you have a personal life. How do you balance all these things while founding Tyv and getting this new business off the ground?
1: Yeah, I, well, I'm not all that active in Discord or Telegram. I don't know how you guys keep up with it. Like, it's just blah, 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 like nonstop. And so I do plug in from time to time and it's incredible kind of the pace. Of really interesting content there, but the number one thing for me what I wake up and do kind of non-negotiable first thing I do is exercise. so again, tied to kind of this belief and mission or personal mission that you've seen through joggy and outdoor voices of movement is essentially how you unlock happiness and healthfulness. and so that's really kind of central to you know my personal belief and what I do every day. I go sweat and then take care of the kids and check the telegram, etc. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for spending some time with us. This was really enlightening. And I'm personally very excited to sort of understand more about what you're building, but also to see how brands can leverage, I think, the heritage that you sort of helped to build in these community-led brands and the idea of what happens when you can create a real measurable tech stack against that. So I think just really excited to sort of watch what you're doing.
2: Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. And everybody who's listening, check out TYB. Ty also does these community runs and she does bringing some of that experiential energy to building this new platform for Joggy. So everybody go follow uh, TYB and check out what they're up to. All
0: right. Thanks, Ty.
1: Thanks, Ty. Thanks, guys. Have a good day.
0: Avery, Ty just dropped so much knowledge on us such an interesting woman building so many different things. I can only imagine how she's doing that and balancing her life. It's an inspiration for me and makes me want to work out. But right now, I feel like the idea that really, and I think you and she both hit this so well, was interoperable loyalty. And I think that is something that I keep talking about interoperability in a much too narrow way that the interoperability should not be between assets and communities, but really should be also between brands and how consumers benefit from that. That was, for me, just such a great key insight. What were your thoughts?
2: Ty's a great guest to have on because she has knowledge of being a CEO and a brand builder multiple times over, and she's actually solving a pain point that she had at OV, which is CAT, with this new tool set. And I think she's probably our first guest who's built a tool that she's also then leveraging as part of the go-to-market strategy with her sort of owned brand or incubated brand, which of course is joggy. So Ty Session was chock full of insights and her perspective as a creator, as a community builder, as a CEO and entrepreneur, I think can really add a lot of value to many of our listeners who are figuring out how they should be thinking about this type of thing. And I also believe that D2C renaissance that Outdoor Voices was so a part of, I think a lot of those brands will have the right to play in this space and the right audiences who want to do this type of thing. So I'd love to see, you know, more Aways jumping into this world, the Quips, the Aways, all these companies that became really hot because of sort of that D2C boom, the Instagram brands who all had, you know, rocking the millennial pink. I think their audiences are ready for this new wave of loyalty.
0: First of all, for any of our listeners who are not native marketers, CAC is customer acquisition cost. And I think that even that idea she talked about, which I think we all in the marketing world struggle with, which is it's really expensive these days to use traditional advertising models to get new customers. And that that's why we've seen such a big rise in TikTok and how brands are working with that, that kind of utilizing your evangelistic user base as one of the tools in your marketing toolkit. I think is such an important opportunity and Web3 does have the opportunity to reward them in a way that I think isn't necessarily something that we see as much on Twitter, as much on Instagram, as much on TikTok. So I think that thinking about that toolkit is really fascinating to me. We should definitely do a check-in with Ty at some point in the future and see how things are going with them and what they're building, because it seems like they're at their infancy. It also sounded like, and I don't want to speculate the alpha, but it sounded like Joggy may not be the only brand in the portfolio that they're building. I would not be surprised if this engine that they're powering can actually help incubate new brands that they bring to market.
2: 100%. Sam, this was such a fun episode. Thank you, as always, for bringing us all together. I love these. And it's amazing to hear from a community of folks who are listening to this and learning. As always, we want to hear what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of, what we should be covering. So feel free to message me and Sam and the awesome CoinDesk team who helps us put this on so we can keep building our little community of Gen Z listeners.
0: Thanks, all. And we'll see you next week.
1: With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members of
2: FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.